0: This episode of AVXL is recorded on January 17th, 2018. We're going to talk about the death of the Chromecast, some home theater recos, mixing speakers from different manufacturers, headphone help, some light thoughts on CES, and so much more.
1: Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out.
0: Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear. No matter what your budget is, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. This is a grab bag episode. Yeah. Uh, Things got exciting. And uh, this was originally put together right before the new year. So we've got a mixture of the new year, some of the things we just saw. We're going to have a big CES wrap up next week. Definitely. It was an incremental year in many ways. I would agree. Evolutionary. Evolutionary. Revolutionary. Absolutely. That was the phrase. Revolutionary.
1: Plenty of good eye candy.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of good eye candy. Some of which we can't talk about till later this year, which breaks my heart. Some of it simply not announced. Yeah, that until thing later this year. in the room with the thing that was Although, cool. Um, <laughs> I can describe some of what I saw. I just wasn't allowed to film or take pictures or record any bit of it. The thing I'm thinking of—if we talk about it—they'll beat us with hammers. But all I'm going to say is I'll never think of Hugh Jackman the same way again. Oh, that. <laughs> oh my well anywho oh my
1: goodness
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah, we survived CES happy new year happy new years I finally got my new screen bought and hung my projection screen very cool. Projection screen I've been waiting for for oh so long. Uh, uh, Elite Screen, Spectrum, Acoustic Pro, uh, the UHD series. It's a 100 inch, a 16 by 9 projection screen. It is acoustically transparent, not really a, a, a gain material. It's like a 1.0 gain, so it's not going to okay. make things seem brighter. Neutral. Yeah, they they have like what they call their Cinegray 3D or Cinegray 5D for when you have a lot of ambient light issues. And I saw one of their new screen materials at CES. And it was particularly fascinating for me because they had a whole bunch of lights on in the room with that screen just to be like, see, see how awesome it is. Oh. Um, a well-engineered, light-rejecting, ambient yeah. light-rejecting screen. It's kind of impressive what a screen can do. It turns out my old screen was 90 inches. This one is 100 inches. The screen material, the Acoustic Pro, the UAC, the actual screen material itself is woven, which is new for me because I'd always had sort of a printed fabric material or painted fabric material. And so it's literally woven so that there are little .32 millimeter perforations that let the audio through. The mean attenuation is negative is 2.36 decibels. So the idea is that you can put your okay. center channel behind the screen and the little holes in, in the weaving let the audio go through. And of course, at upper frequencies, it attenuates more, right? Because it's easier to absorb the higher frequencies than the lower frequencies. So, looking at the plot response, it was down like 2.3 decibels from 1000 to 10,000 hertz, and then down 4 decibels from 10 kilohertz and up so it definitely most of your movies certainly going to be below ten thousand hertz and a lot Rerun of music the calibration microphone will exactly. be exactly yeah I, th- I think i'm probably going to leave the speakers to the left and right of the screen uh because the screen is not so wide I, to get the full surround sound experience i'm going to oh if you have the room by yeah, all means keep the speakers jacked out as far left and right as i can um, I like it, woven
1: screens personally. I, I think, in terms, especially if you have to do the projector relatively close to the screen surface mm-hmm. and you may end up with a hot spot in the middle, I find those woven screens actually are better at diffusing light. Uh, they tend to hot spot mm-hmm. less than, say, like a vinyl screen or right. a solid screen design. It depends really on whatever that, that final coat is on the top. Will determine your off-axis performance. Simply having what they call a neutral gain screen right. at 1.0 generally that also implies that you've got a very good wide viewing angle compared to something that's way more reflective than that. Uh, for either increased brightness or you're doing something like maybe a 3D presentation where you right. need all the light. Not even talking about ambient light rejection though. That, that's a whole different
0: price category <laughs> and everything else. So I'm I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's confirmation bias at its at its highest level. But I feel that the blacks are a little bit blacker with this screen, in part because uh, this material seems to be a little bit darker than the, than the old material on my screen. It's certainly not like looking at an OLED. I thought about that a lot as I was staring at OLEDs at CES.
1: I need to redo the calibration on that projector since you have oh. a new screen with new screen material. I will totally take Probably you up on that. won't take much tweaking, but
0: it would be good just to check it. It's you know it's I love having the larger screen. It makes me very happy. I'm a, I was also kind of giggling because it's 4K UHD Active 3D and HDR ready. Um, and part of me was like, so is paint. <laughs> <laughs> eh.
1: Painting an even screen is difficult. Yeah, I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even try unless it really it's not critical or it's, you're you're really really good it's not 2008 down perfectly anymore. even paint layers anyway oh per, no
0: good screens cost very little and i'm yeah. glad
1: you're happy with your new setup no man.
0: it was great yeah elite does a lot of nice work i was also laughing because elite announced the Yardmaster sport
1: <laughs> oh outdoor use <laughs> yes oh man yeah it's that, like i have a portable screen it's and like this- i love it
0: five or eight pound projection screen with stands. Well, mine's uh, a little heavier than that. But. They do like 57, 96, and 110 inch versions. Uh, it comes with a tripod or you can hang it on a wall. Right. Um, but you literally roll it up. I have the Epson Duet. I've had it for years. That and thing's,
1: I, I I still have it. And I love that thing. But that's, that's like 120 bucks for I think it's right. like a 96 inch 16 by 9 screen or 90, say 90 inch. Roughly. I don't think these are very Not expensive. Huge, but Portable and in a self-protecting case. Right. So that's that's another option. It's just super handy, especially when it's warmer out, maybe not right now, in the summer times. Oh, it is a delight to whip that out in the afternoon and when the sun goes down. Have a little
0: outdoor projection enjoyment. Well, the thing that made me laugh about this one is the 57 and the 96-inch versions are one-to-one one or square. And then the 110-inch version is in a 4x3 ratio which I thought like that was just That's odd. Yeah, that was exactly the thought
1: I had. <laughs> the one cool thing about that Epson duet, it, it actually retracts to the left and the right or on Ooh. the horizontal plane. So you can stretch it out and to the first click is a four by three screen, but then you just keep extending it right. left, right. And it becomes a 16 by nine screen. So you have a constant image height, which is really nice. But constant
0: images. Like
1: I said too, it's well built. And it's one of those things that you probably won't use it all the time, but when you do need it, it's a hard plastic shell protecting it. And it keeps it good over the years. And like I said, I want to say mine's at least 10 years old now, and they're still selling that same design. (laughs) I don't think they've changed it once. It's still a good thing.
0: It's okay to to, to not not fix things that aren't broken. Good for connecting Nintendo game consoles,
1: I find. Be it a Wii or a Switch (laughs) or you name it. That, that becomes the new gaming TV suddenly, this portable screen with a projector and a and a game console. Done. Oh, my goodness. You know, if you are like so tempted by the high end of home theater, especially in the display side of things, where it's like, man, you, you just can't get your mind off of like the OLED or a high-end 4K projector with right. HDR and wide color gamut support but you just don't have the budget. I firmly believe you should already have your affordable TV that's in your budget. The thing, maybe the thing you already have, but get a projector starting at like 600 bucks for a 1080p projector on up, whatever you want to spend, just to have that in your arsenal as a display that you get familiar with and yeah. be able to point that at a wall, if nothing else, and enjoy some really good viewing often for much less than you can you're definitely going to spend for like you know like say a 70 inch anything as far as LCDs or let alone OLEDs go but I think it's just in terms of the overall use and it's you know maybe if it's your first time yeah don't break the bank Go, go budget on it but it should be something that lasts you many, many, many thousands of hours, tens of thousands of hours, and you can connect a variety of things up to it, including streaming sticks and devices like that to make it almost completely portable. But for just around the house use, if there's a primary TV that gets way too much use and you never seem to be able to squeeze in edgewise, I think a small projector, put it on a tripod and walk it around the house and find a, find a convenient spot. A convenient spot. Set up in camp. The trick is to not have wallpaper in every room of your house. Oh yeah, <laughs> then you need something like a sheet, maybe, or uh, I don't know. I've a shot portable it. Portable Epson stand. A, a double, <laughs> yeah. That's too big to drag out, though. <laughs> that thing's really made for outdoor use. But I've I've closed two double doors and just shot it up against that. Although they were lightly colored in terms of their paint job, but anyway, you
0: know, sometimes don't you, dismiss projectors. No, I'll, and. I'll Tons of fun there, and there's some really inexpensive ones. I mean, the you know the, the eight dollar ones on on eBay or Amazon are are, are going to require you to be in a very dark room, and you know the screen's going to be. Oh like, yeah, it depends
1: on the room like yeah. of
0: course you can't do it with like. I was just thinking somebody know, all was the like lights on, but somebody was like my friend's like oh I just ordered this thing off of eBay, and I'm like hey man I hope you can use it you know without having to turn the lights off and you know have it sitting
1: three feet. But even from the a wall. projector like yours, which is around I think it was over three thousand lumens yeah. at max, that even with the curtains wide open as long as the light wasn't falling right on the screen was still entirely usable yes. uh, without a doubt
0: the colors are a bit more saturated with the, sh- with the you know blackout drapes pulled though
1: oh with oh, yeah <laughs> the, the bane of anything really is if the light's going to actually strike the screen directly and then it becomes uh, the, then maybe not so much but
0: then OLED
1: becomes really awesome Maybe you don't want a TV in your bedroom, but occasionally you do want to watch something. And if you happen to have a nice blank wall at the foot of your bed, I can't tell you, man. It's like uh, throw the projector down at the foot of the bed on a little stand and and just kick back and
0: not grab the, the giant LG and signature taking up the entirety up. of your dresser. <laughs> anyway, I'm just saying. I had a, a what I will affectionately call a disappointing experience. Um, it happens more often than I'd like, where a venerable and respected and, in in many cases, personally beloved headphone manufacturer decides, you know, we need to do an earbud for the kids. The kids love the earbuds. We've got a brand. Let's brand an earbud. It's a thought it's a thought and it you know it turns out that being one of the world's finest manufacturers like to the the head down to make the best audio call me old fashioned but it, it you know it turns out that perhaps the expertise in one case i know of a couple of years ago just found something in shenzhen tweaked the enclosure a little bit slapped their brand on it and we're kind of done with it good um, if it works no it didn't work okay uh, in another case it was a really alarming tuning in a third case it was great as long as you didn't turn them but in any case it reminded me of just how good one more's triple drivers are for 99 dollars yeah
1: and uh, also they uh, are in my bag my travel bag right now so
0: good and then uh, one i've been thinking about a lot since i I started playing around with them earlier this year is periodic audio okay uh, you have to love a company that says for their flagship earbud which is a 300 dollar beryllium driver finesse meets force b for beryllium is the work of zealots studio grade hi-fi that fits in your watch pocket but no material too any, cheap any, yeah anyone who or can call expensive. themselves a zealot well what's interesting about this company so periodic audios is, is kind of the brainchild of a guy named dan wiggins dan wiggins has amongst other things worked on drivers for sonos calls Utopia a whole bunch of car audio companies. He's got a high-end speaker company. He's done a lot of work especially in the area uh, in the last decade that's shown up where they've increased the Z or the in and out movement of a driver to increase low-end extension because you can make you can push more air with a woofer by making it bigger or you can push more air with a woofer by having the distance it covers as it cycles in and out larger or the Z-Max on that one. Okay. So, what's interesting about this design is they've got three different models. The least expensive model, the magnesium, and the most expensive model, the beryllium, I think are of the most interest for the most people because the model in between those two, the titanium, has a very distinctive signature. Uh, the word V-shape comes to mind oh, okay. like, that I did not enjoy at all. But the aluminum, excuse me, the magnesium, which costs $99. Yes, it's a very, if if you know—if that's your thing, right. that is your thing and that thing you will love. But the there's a $99 magnesium, which they now sell on Amazon, which reminds me a lot of the triple driver in the sense that, wow, this punches way above its weight class. But where the triple driver from one more is... Emphasizes more treble. This has tilted more towards bass and very, very authoritative bass. But what's fascinating is they came up with one polycarbonate molded enclosure that they use for, you know, their $99, their $200, and their $300 in-ear. Because it's inert. They injection mold it. It's cheap. They don't have to the expense of a lot of machining. And quite frankly, they could, you know, I'm paraphrasing, give a rat's ass because they want to put all of the money you spend into the parts that make the music. So they have a simple molded polycarbonate enclosure that's common across all three of these earbuds. I like that. Yeah. Um, Select,
1: you know, an exotic driver, if you will. Yeah. other it doesn't matter which one you go with, you're going to get great sound. Hey. I, if, if you want to spend a little extra.
0: There's a little attitude here.
1: Uh the he's the bragging like, rights for yeah.
0: beryllium. He's like, no, he's like, we didn't put a cheap mic on it. We don't care about mics. Just hold the phone up to your face. Exact quote. Just hold the phone up to your face. Um, there's no one thing I would like to see is maybe, a, you know, I'm probably going to put a, a little notch on one of them because it's kind of very elegant, but you have to be able to see. So when you're putting your earbuds in the dark, one of the grills is colored red, and that's the right earbud. Oh. Well, uh, so as long as you can, as I'm long used as having the light, controls
1: and the microphone on yeah. that right one.
0: The ninety-nine dollar magnesium is really impressive for the money. Uh, it's it's probably, you know, depending on which day, first or second, with the one more triple driver. If you like bass more than treble, it's an excellent alternative to the triple driver. Very authoritative bass, a really really beautiful low end, and they have the two hundred ninety-nine dollar beryllium which has a lot of bass, really, really clean, detailed mids and hides. I'm really impressed by that. Listening to this and listening to one more's quad driver, I was thinking a lot about how many earbud manufacturers there are at the high end and how a lot of them are charging a lot of money but I don't think the additional sound you get over one of these two for for around 300 bucks is really, really worth it. There are cases where they're magnificent, but there are cases where you're like, you know, the more I listen to $1,000 and 1500 earbuds, the more impressed I am with a couple of the $300 earbuds out there. Uh, but really cool about the thing about these, uh, they come with a five-year warranty. The engineering Nice. Services, yeah, they, they seem to be holding up really, really well. Um, I'm looking s- over the specs right now. Yeah, they get a little deep in the specs. And for amusement, they actually put the specs of the physical materials of magnesium and beryllium in there too. So beryllium... When they
1: say nozzle diameter, is that the part that is actually delivering the sound into your ear? So So they look similar in the sense of the sizing in terms mm -hmm. of how big that driver is that you're placing within your ear to something like the one more. A little on the larger side compared to, say, like designs from shore which use a very thin pipe right. that ends in the ear tip that you place in your ear it's it depends on your ear size yeah in general i find larger ears have way easier times with these in terms of finding a good fit otherwise even with the one mores though i i end up using one of the smaller tips just to ensure i can get it in far enough to get a good seal for when i really need isolation in either a travel environment or just for general use and i really want to hear the content with minimal background distractions right so but still I think for the price, that is right in line of what I'm looking for. I want something like this almost explicitly for use with a phone. Mm-hmm. It would be really nice to have a microphone built into it and some kind of a control.
0: Part of me is with you. But the um, price is
1: if it's competing with something more on the higher end in terms of yeah. the listen. It's really about the listening experience and what this is achieving. You know, You'd have to spend two, three times more to get something equivalent. That's where I see... Maybe for the audiophile side of it.
0: If, if you know, if, if the most important thing for you is the music, these are a really, really interesting choice. I mean, don't get me wrong. Having well, it's a- also that in the Google Assistant button. It's all uh, about that Google. Where Assistant Where am I? Button. <laughs> Google's coming up at
1: one o'clock. Am I still
0: in Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> where's Drake?
1: <laughs> Google. Where's the- Drake? He doesn't come on until two a.m. <laughs> anyway. I thought it was three. Um, Maybe you know, might have been. Yeah, it's it's that's uh, next week. Oh my goodness! You know, it's cool. Uh, yeah, I like periodic to, audio. Ninety nine, two ninety
0: nine, really impressive. Sweet. Um, yeah, I, I wish they had you replaceable want the cables, but go titanium. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think if you're deeply into EDM and you don't do a lot of vocals, that will be a magnificent beast for Ooh. you. I, mean, I really really impressed me. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Good stuff. I just also want to say I've heard some really ugly remasters lately. And we've talked about it before, but the whole idea of the loudness wars, where they compress the dynamic range, and there's usually a lot of clipping. And and instead of having lots and lots of piano and lots of lots of forte... Dynamic range is tough. (laughs) (laughs) It depends on you. You have to have a pristine
1: listening experience to really appreciate it to begin with. So... I appreciate compression for things like spoken word or yeah. and for a lot of music unless you are taking it to the point where you're actually clipping information and destroying... Or you're altering tracks Which maybe have very low And very high portions On purpose And very purposefully And it's changing That experience maybe I mean
0: a huge part Of classical music Is the dynamics A huge part of some Rock and roll songs Is the dynamic. And when you go from like You know piano Very very quiet Softer than a speaking voice To forte Which is speaking louder Forte 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 Which is yelling You lose a lot of the impact Of the song And the artist's intentions You lose a lot of the experience But yeah there's also some Where I, I heard one recently And I apologize I didn't write it down at the time. I just kind of went, oh, sweet, delete expletive. I was playing around with a new music service that I've been testing out and they're not quite, up to speed in America yet, so I, I don't want to get into it until they're really available. But it was interesting because they had, for example, both the original master of Rage Against the Machine and the 20th anniversary remaster of Rage Against the Machine. And listening to that 20th anniversary remaster of Rage Against the Machine got me thinking about the loudness wars and about how many albums that have been completely screwed up in remastering. Because usually they get it's been remastered, they're dealing with all of that terrible acoustical crap that was on the the original recording and in some cases yes they do amazing it's kind of like in some cases I mean, compression they- for the sake of compression yeah, or, or for basically because, well, if the the story I was told about the Rage Against Machine album in particular is they were flat out told if they wanted to keep the amount of radio play up and thus keep the amount of money coming in for the royalties on that, they were going to have to throw a whole bunch of compression on that because so much of FM radio is keeping it at a particular volume constantly. They don't want anything it's not, and if you're not at that intense volume if you don't fill the sausage as you look at the waveform where it's just flattened out because well, that flipped wasn't it off a, bunch. a good idea no now
1: compression's great for a lot of things yes. especially spoken voice i find that it- unless you have a pristine listening environment right. where you can clearly hear a very quiet
0: passage followed by something much louder, a little compression can make that a yeah. lot more listenable. The and midnight or, or night mode on your AVR, right? Uh, the, that's the AVR applying compression so that the explosions are at the same level of the whispering so that you don't blast your children into consciousness at two in the morning. Totally. For less um, than
1: pristine environments,
0: it's a must. But if yes. you're taking it to the point where you're
1: killing information, say at the very loudest portions, right. if you're clipping that information, Just like you would in a video signal. If you're destroying some of that information, or if you're significantly changing the way it should sound according to the artist, what the hell are you doing?
0: Yeah. Stop that. Yes. (laughs) Well, they're not going to stop it. Well, there is a. I
1: don't. I mean, man, there's like a. That's probably like the most famous example is that 20th anniversary re release, that remastering that just sent it to hell. Yeah. (laughs)
0: The remaster but you from you do hell. that
1: and you're going to incur years of wrath from people like you and I and everyone else who will just point that out going, okay, here's exactly what you don't do.
0: You made so. Zach De La Rocha cry.
1: However, <laughs> if you're making your own YouTube videos and things like that, yes. be aware that that very well engineered, usually like intro music you decided to click on and is use, critical. It, it, it's going to be using that full range, that mm-hmm. dynamic range, and it may be overall it sounds very loud compared to what you recorded personally, right. where your voice is, you know, fluctuating high and low. Even for what we're doing right now, I I make it more listenable for more people, especially mm-hmm. if you've got you know the right earbud in, and that's it, or if you're you know sitting in your forty thousand dollar home theater enjoying. <sighs> our smooth voices. (laughs) I try to make it listenable in both cases. And it's like, well, you can take that to an extreme and, you know, screw it up for either end, but you got to find that happy medium. Know who your audience is, you know,
0: yeah no it's uh, I think it's
1: more important that people hear every word we say yes rather than uh, for
0: podcasts they probably should almost the always hear dynamic of range of our voices
1: but we're also I mean no we're not a for cinema for for presentations for music for music I think it's very different but it again yeah. goes
0: back to the that listening environment well a lot of the experience of listening to classical pieces or you know for example that Rage Against Machine album is how they play with the dynamics from going like you know piano to forte to going from soft to loud and that radically impacts a bunch of squirreliness on the guitar then all of a sudden like everything jumps on top of it and that that was intentional the artists created something but um, hey but
1: if i'm listening to this in my car and the windows are rolled down hey you better crank that up or or (laughs) well hopefully you have done nothing to the original and the audio playback system would realize hey you're in a really noisy environment i'm gonna compress the crap out of this so you can actually hear some of it while the sirens are coming up behind you and the lights are flashing and all that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, (laughs) we talked (laughs) about it before, but I just... I do.
0: You're right.
1: (laughs) You are absolutely right. I was just like, what did they do to this poor album? There should be like just a top 10 audio engineering shame list. (laughs) And that, that should be
0: right up there. I think top three. There's probably something worse, but... I'm sure certain audio engineers would look at you and smile serenely and say Yes me and my zillion dollars in the bank and the little tink into my bank account every time that track is still played because of what I did to it. Let's just say I, I, I continue to squirrel away the pre-remastered version of Rage Against the Machine. You know, much like someone I, I know I probably had, have
1: the original. I doubt I bought a remastered anything.
0: I so. had some problems with people borrowing CDs. And I'm telling you, day I life. learned
1: how to rip a disc. That was the first thing I did. Never, never again will I lose my precious than precious.
0: (laughs) Uh. G-Squared emailed ask at avxl.com. Hi, Robert and Patrick, longtime listener to AVXL and Tech Thing and proud sponsor of both via Patreon. Thank you, G-Squared. Appreciate all the info and advice that you guys provide. I have a home theater dilemma and would like to hear your opinions. I have a Vizio 80-inch 4K, no HDR, a an X4500H receiver being fed from an NVIDIA Shield and a Sony UBP-X800UHD Blu-ray player. Most of my viewing is Netflix and Plex, both via Shield. The speakers are 3.1 Zoo Omens and an Outlaw 12-inch subwoofer. I'm trying to decide if it would be worth the effort to try and add rear and side Atmos speakers and if it is worth the effort, what speakers would coexist or complement the existing Zoo Omens. Should I try to find Zoo products? Probably expensive or go with something less expensive, ELAX, or question mark, question mark, question mark. One concern is that the system is sideways in one half of a rectangular basement room, 19 by 22, give me an effective watching listening area that is 19 by 10 with one side being open. Any suggestions on how to handle side speakers when there is a wall and only one side? Boy. This is actually full of fun things to think about. Uh, G-Squared is in London, Canada. I too have had the unfortunate home theater layout because some speaker designers will actually tell you one of the best things you can do with a set of speakers is, is instead of centering them on the wall of a room to have them offset to one side or the other because it eliminates certain kinds of standing waves, one of your biggest challenges when you're sort of shoved into 10 feet of space is, A, having enough uh, speaker separation to get your full-on, man, I want all of the Dolby surround sound. Uh, and another one is the fact that on one side of your home theater, let's say it's the right side, that the wall is on your right side, Right. there's going to be first-order reflections from the wall very, very quickly on one side or a much, much later first-order reflection on the other side. So having some kind of diffusion on that wall, a bookshelf, some art or absorption at that first point of reflection may make a big difference in the quality of your surround sound and of your music. Matching speakers, I used to be very like, you must have speakers from the same lineup, from the same manufacturer, or the baby Jesus will come from the sky and beat you with a hammer. Yeah. And generally speaking, I, I will say the that I prefer not to mix them. Makes life a little easier sometimes. Yes. So the Zoo Omens, if you're not familiar with that name, uh, Zoo is one of a bunch of brands out of Utah run by a bunch of very, very nice people. Uh, Another one I would think of that oddly enough uh, is very similar is Tecton. Part of the reason I think of these two crews in the same um, Tecton design, I should say, is they both kind of became very, very famous for making a two-way speaker with a 10-inch woofer probably of musical instrument origins. In the zoo's Omen case, they use a really interesting aluminum waveguide on eminence uh drivers are feeding the tweeter. And the woofers on the top, the tweeters below the woofer, and other than that they're basic uh big boxes. Tekton uses a traditional ported design and the zoos use a really, really cool system to emphasize the bass that I'm not even going to begin to try to explain because it is interesting and complicated and I will put everybody to sleep almost immediately on that. He's dealing with looks like a nine channel amplifier.
1: Right. And he has a three one setup now. And the question is, should he add more speakers? Uh, yes. And yeah. if you if you want to transform this into, I'd be curious, could you do something like two channels for Dolby Atmos? And if so, sure. I'll, it looks like you already have the AVR, yeah. so it's simply a matter of. It sounds like you want more speakers. If nothing else, get yourself yeah. up to at least five one or seven yeah.
0: one. My first thought is is rear surrounds are an excellent start. If for no other reason, you can have things blast out of the screen towards you, and then they get picked up in the rear speakers, and that's a big part of surround sound. I don't know if I'd go to seven. Dot one, but certainly I would I would add the rear surround speakers.
1: And then I, if you're doing all of this <laughs> and you can find some appropriate speakers for the ceiling. Yeah. Heck yeah.
0: It was funny. Uh, I was I hard- like
1: having those channels high in the sky for tracks that support things like Atmos or mm-hmm. be it the latest
0: games that can take advantage of it too on certain consoles. But, you know, Zoo does full surround sound speakers or like a full surround sound set. It is a... Uh, Problem is you're... You're either going to need speaker stands for...
1: Depending on which way this is all facing. Ideally, you'd have it facing into the back of the room. And then at least you could have stuff on the walls, on the sides. It would be symmetrical that way in terms of the viewing area.
0: But... I mean, if money was no object, like it almost really doesn't matter. Ideally, you would have like another pair of omens for the rear channels, or maybe the Dirty Weekends, which is a speaker that uh, Zoo when they upgrade drivers for people, they keep the old drivers and they put them in the Dirty Weekends, and it's a thousand dollar pair of speakers. But if it'd be possible to $2, audition $2, something else, if
1: it comes pretty close, I think yeah. it would make a good addition, especially if you're buying them like by the pair at least. Yeah,
0: Not I would just say speakers randomly selected but part of the challenge is there's so many speakers out there and they sound so different for the front three speakers the left right and center those i would want to be very very closely matched because that's things get really has. squirrely if they're not it's what it looks like um, so for the rear surrounds i would be less critical and yeah you know you could pick up a set of elac debuts and put them on stands or you could try hang them from the ceiling you know those reference mini lores might actually be an interesting yeah Wow, those are down to, f- they, they're on sale right now for $575 a pair. If you want a really
1: efficient I mean, if speaker, you're, if you're that just sounds simply really looking good, for permission, whether or not this is a good idea, I would try it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's going to take work, I guess, is what we're saying, because you're going to try stuff. It'll work or it won't work. It's easiest to just buy, like, okay, I have five speakers, they're all matched, and I'm done. Um, and
1: acoustically, that room's going to work like the full-sized room just because you're only yeah. using half of it for your setup it's still going to be acoustically influenced as if it were the the full-sized room and that's where you want to make sure take that calibration mic out set it up carefully and do the run-through with your Denon amp take care of it I think you're going to end up with some pretty good results yes and I think it will surpass your current setup
0: and you could do it for I th- on a budget or beyond, depending mm-hmm. on however you want to do it. Think about what defines those Zoo Omen speakers for you and then look for something that is similar and maybe less expensive. Man, there's there's a lot of good speakers out there and it's worth spending some time uh, listening to them. I mean, you got a really great foundation for a system. We ran into Michael O'Neill from the Solopreneur Hour. He does a, a podcast called Beginner Audiophile. And I think he fanboyed out on Robert. Um, but he had just picked up some Mika, which is an inexpensive Amazon brand, uh, ceiling Speakers, are like either ceiling or in-wall speakers. And he used those to set up Atmos in his home theater. And he was freaking out as, how good they was. I, I believe his primary speakers, he's either running uh, LS50s or yeah. a, set, a set of paradigms, full-size paradigms. Those additional channels of audio into the room can make a huge difference. If you can swing four-channel Atmos over two-channel Atmos, you should. I just want to say that. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> more, more is better. If you can do
1: 24-channel Atmos. Spend I'm not ready money. for 24-channel
0: Atmos. <laughs> I'm not that strong. What does
1: it go up to? 34 channels?
0: Okay. All of the channels. Amazing. Everyone will get their own personal speaker. Hopefully that helps G-Squared. And thank you for supporting us on Patreon.com slash AVXL. John emailed AskItTechTheme.com. Uh, what show? I, no, no. This actually, he did email AskItTechTheme.com. Oh, okay. But I thought it would be fun to talk about this on AVXL. Um Also, there's a lot of caps in this email. Hey guys, just got this email from Monoprice about this new device, HD Fury 4K Integral 2, all-in-one, 18 gigabits per second scalar matrix splitter with OSD and HCCP doctor small image, which is obviously a cut and paste. If you could do a review on it to explain what it does and if it is any good, I'm wondering if this is a device to add an HDR effect to any and all video content so your TV will switch to the HDR mode as if it was HDR content to benefit from HDR mode. So, first of all, there is no way to, well, I'm, I'm sure Somebody's working on it, but technically, you can't magically turn non HDR content into HDR content, and certainly not. Oh, with sure, an you HD can theory. really. Oh, yeah, plenty of TVs do that now. They really? have like the
1: auto HDR mode. Does it actually? Well, the, work? Apple, the Apple TV 4K there's an example of an HDR always device, unless you physically go in, well, and physically, unless you go into the menus and actually turn that feature off, it converts everything. It, it, hopefully, they've changed that in subsequent firmware updates,
0: but it. Transforms everything into HDR output. So if your TV is HDR compatible, it's running that high. No, 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 mode. no. I mean, I mean, turning non-HDR content into HDR content. That's what the Apple TV four K does as well. Non-HDR content or
1: H, it's in HDR mode. I feel all like the I time. want to wash
0: my hands because I feel dirty right now.
1: If you're looking at the Integral two, and in this case, I have the original right. Integral, and they're effectively the same products. This is a two-port splitter or right. matrix switch in effect and it incorporates complete control over things like the hdcp for content protection so if you're dealing with a source device that requires it and a display that lacks it you could put this in the middle boom it's going to work there are modes to convert to any video format from pretty much any video format you want if you needed to do conversions or things like that What a few people in the JVC world were doing for projection systems were using these devices to take an ultra-high-def Blu-ray in 4K HDR, simply take out the HDR, leave the color information alone so you have that wide color palette plus the 4K content, and stream that to the projector. You can drive all of this from a computer or an app on your phone or whatever. It's actually quite a convenient device to deal with. I also used it to convert devices like a 1080p signal generator right. into a 4K HDR signal generator. All of those values scale quite nicely. So, in terms of conversion compatibility, it's a fantastic device if you actually need something like that. But I don't see that's how that's really you, what it comes down to. I, I do. Agree you're not. With- you're not magic. I mean, you can feed this your DVD player and have it spit out. F- and it's got a scaler built into it too so you can put in your 720p you know old school dvd and have it spit out 4k hdr but is it truly hdr okay that's what
0: i wanted you to say i mean first of all
1: hd furies are really cool but some people might want that super bright colorful mode the tv's going to go into this expanded color palette it's going to do yeah yeah i'm I'm envisioning one of your magic triangles creating anything
0: so. Yeah, because I'm seeing, like, one of your magic triangles where you measure the gamma of a television, and yeah. I'm seeing, like, a little smirsh of DVD that's the, the color gamma of a DVD. Well, versus the original. The, yeah. And you know how I mean? well
1: that's being scaled out to the larger color palette and to the higher brightness range right. and
0: everything else. That's... To be determined. Right. I you, you don't. No, turn I wouldn't it, expect miracles. Yeah, that. You're not turning a DVD into a no. UHD Blu-ray that's been properly, you know, mastered for I mean, for, some for some HCR. The scaler in this product may be really good. Yeah. Could better
1: than the TV or the display device you're using. So rather than feed, you know, a 4K device. But otherwise, uh, this is strictly for conversion and compatibility. Yes. And if you if you really aren't going to use it for that, there are much more affordable products that do 4K HDMI switching or matrix switching right. or whatever else you might need. Yeah, considering I wouldn't even bother with this product if you were dealing with analog devices, although I believe it has audio extraction and other features too. That Things I'd never used on it. I strictly used it to just do conversion to very specific hdr output modes and for that Mm -hmm. it actually there is some pretty cool software available that allows you to be very explicit about the metadata you're sending to a particular display too so if you really want to do some in-depth testing and analysis it can be useful for things like that as well yeah or and it's not terribly expensive i think it's 250 bucks you consider a good 4k switch even a matrix switch is going to be well less than half that
0: so Hmm.
1: with more ports don't buy this unless you really need it just make sure you understand what it is you need to do and if it is a cool piece of hardware without a doubt it really is it's it's also one of those companies, too, where it's like, oh, you, you've got incompatible devices and and the content owners would prefer you not be able to watch that? Well, screw them. Here you go. And in the home theater circles, they have smaller products that were more dedicated to, say, the HDCP side of things that would make it easier to integrate products that were incompatible, that cost less than this.
0: But yeah, no. I'm, I'm thinking of Chekhov from the Star Trek reboot running into the transporter room. I can fix that. I can fix that. <laughs> the HD Fury can fix that what
1: it's for or if you're really into experimenting with pushing the performance of a particular display device yeah. that may be limited in some way this is a way to really kind of tweak one thing yet not the other and still have it all work something is going to come out the other end <laughs> and it may look pretty cool
0: Mike be emailed ask at avxl.com. Thought I was going to be able to give you an update on what I'm watching, but I guess not. I saw two of my favorite movies of all time, They Live and The Fog, not The Stupid Remake. They were listed on Blu-ray.com as 4K, and Dolby Vision. I was all set to buy them, and then I saw they were Region B. I was heartbroken. Is there any way around this? He also points out uh, that they picked up a Dragonfly Red, and he wants to get a decent set of headphones. I uh, he was thinking about uh, Sennheiser's hc 650, hi Man's Sundara, or perhaps HiFiMan's Man's HE 560 V2. One thing is, I never owned open-backed headphones before. Would you recommend a close back over these for around 500? The main thing I'm looking to do with these headphones is put them on when I get home from work and get lost in some Pink Floyd. Region control. Blu rays, right, can be region encoded. It's, it should be printed on the back. Region A, region B, region C. Region A is North America, South America, U.S. territories, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, and other areas of Southeast Asia. Region B is Europe, Africa, the Middle East, Australia, New Zealand, and region C is the rest of Asia. According to Wikipedia, Robert found, and that I found on Sony's webpage, Ultra HD Blu ray discs are actually region free. If you are looking at actual UHD, Blu-ray discs of They Live and The Fog, they should play anywhere. They should not be region-encoded. As far as headphones go, headphones, headphones, uh, I prefer the Sennheiser HD600 to the HD650 for no particular reason. They're both very, very good headphones. Uh, if you if you read about them online, you hear a lot of people will say that they're veiled. They have the Sennheiser Veil, which means it doesn't have an over-accentuated treble or high-end. It's quite frankly as far as I'm concerned more natural and easier to listen to for longer periods of time without being fatigued. Hi-Fi Man Sundara, I haven't heard those personally but there are a lot of people who absolutely love them unlike uh, the 400i which is the planar magnetic that Hi-Fi Man sells for $200 which is like the most affordable, I think it's like wire Wirecutter's uh, affordable audiophile headphone. The Sundara's got more bass. The 400i, the bass falls off a little bit more than I like. If you want Want to spend all the money and not buy any headphones for a really, 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 really long time because I don't think there's going to be anything near the price range as good. I uh, probably regret saying that, but uh, Mr. Speakers Aeon Flow. They do an open backed version and a closed-back version. The closed-back version is amazing. The open-back version is supposed to have a larger soundstage, which may work incredibly well with your Pink Floyd experience if it's the album I think you're thinking of. Those sell for about 700 bucks, refurbished, uh, which has, I believe, a full, uh, a full. Uh, if I have a quarantine. quiet
1: listening environment, yeah. I'm cool with open back, but otherwise, nope, not for me.
0: That's the big thing. Like I have a bunch of open-back headphones. You can even, even sell-
1: I, I want a little isolation when I put headphones on. So, And I have more so with closed back than I do open back.
0: Yeah, I, I would say some of the more recent closed back headphones are much better at creating a sound stage because the whole reason, reason people did open back, audiophile geeks did open back headphones is because they gave you this huge sense of space And a lot of the closed-back headphones have gotten better about that. I want to accentuate what Robert just said, is if you live in a noisy environment, if you want to listen when other people are near you, open-back headphones, especially big, planar-magnetic open-back headphones, will drive everyone in the room completely insane. Yeah, Um, (laughs) people will know what you're listening to. Although you may hear someone sneak up behind you as well. If uh, that all sounds kind of terrifying... Monoprice is Monolith, M565C. They're over ear, closed back, planar magnetic headphones. I haven't seen measurements on these, but I heard these at CanJam this summer, and I was kind of blown away by how good they are. Some of Monoprice's planar magnetics are atrocious, period. In fact, the first pair I bought from, from Monoprice was just, you know, I I missed the 30 day return window and I regret that to this very day. Yeah. (laughs) Someday I'll find. I got you. Um, But the M565C, gotta have time to play with this stuff, man. Are closed back. uh, And those are, they cost $230. They are extremely good for that money. And if you're in an environment where there's background noise or a loud AC system or your children tend to throw things against the wall or, you know, you have a dog with clicky nails, uh, they will isolate you from the rest of the universe much, much better. But, yeah, the Sundaras are really good. AC. 600 or 650 from Sennheiser, or oh, those uh, those Mana prices, 565C. Those are all pretty badass headphones for the money. Just make sure you're in a quiet place if you're listening to open-backed headphones. Heck yeah! <laughs> Lance emails, hey guys, thanks for the awesome show. Thank you, Lance. He says, I totally feel the pain of the upsell for Atmos and Incredibles Part 2. I have a standard Xbox One setup and the 1080p projector, so I have no need for UHD and really don't care to have it at this point, though the new Epson has been panting a little. I know what you're saying. I finally arranged my upstairs room into a home theater over the course of about three years. I started with a projector and a painted wall, upgraded the amplifier the next year to an Onkyo with Atmos, then upgraded the speakers to do some tower speakers and some surrounds and have it sounding pretty great. Oh, and added a 120-inch screen for my Epson projector. So good. I finally updated the Xbox One last week to support Atmos, and while Ready Player One did not blow me away as a movie, it did its job in totally selling me on the Atmos setup. I was very impressed with the clarity and isolation to each speaker. I really appreciate what studios include Atmos on a standard Blu-ray. I'm sure it's wishful thinking to hope that this will happen more, but maybe UHD isn't too far around the corner for me. Keep up the great work, Lance in Mississippi. We want more Atmos on Blu-ray discs, too. Could I run the output from a 4K HDR Blu-ray player into my AVR and have the AVR spit 1080p into my projector while preserving the Atmos soundtrack? You have a pained oh, look no. on your face. <laughs> no, you could, <laughs> unless
1: you have a scaler that would be compatible with doing right. that, built into either the Blu-ray player itself, the UHD Blu-ray player, or the TV. Or you can just go right to Amazon and get your Atmos audio soundtracks, or stream it so you don't have to deal with the disc-based madness. Uh,
0: But I want my discs. No, I I want my deep, rich, saturated colors. There's
1: nothing preventing these companies from offering (laughs) Dolby Atmos on a a
0: regular Blu-ray. There's nothing from preventing these companies from sucking less and giving more to the consumer. Michael emailed Ask at AVXL. Guys, I've been fans of you both since the Tech TV days and was elated when I came across the podcast earlier this year. I've been a happy patron ever since. Thanks, Michael. On the episode discussing the HDTV test shootout winners, you wished Panasonic would distribute their OLEDs in North America. Well, that's partially true. They're actually selling them in Canada. Oh, man. I'm currently looking at upgrading my living room 55-inch Panasonic VT60 for a 65-inch set. Off-axis viewing is a bit of a concern, but not major. And while the majority of viewing will be in the evenings, I don't want to be turning off lights in order to see my fancy new TV. Content will be mostly broadcast TV from an STB with some streaming services mixed in, and the occasional UHD Blu-ray. Movies are usually watched in the basement on a JVC RS420. I want multiple rooms for viewing. In my yeah, market, the Panasonic FC is priced to compete with the LG C8 around four grand, while the Samsung QF9 and Sony A8F are both a thousand more. I feel like the A8F would handle my 1080p content the best, and the Q9FM would be bright enough to sear off my eyeballs. I don't think I can swallow the price of either. The shootout results have me leaning towards the FC for reasons I can't rationalize other than brand affinity. Any thoughts on the FC versus the C8? And is it worth mentioning the P-Series Quantum is $3,000, but I feel like I'd be missing out on something. Thanks, Mike's from Canada. Well, we'll get into some more
1: CES-related stuff too, but... Panasonic was there with their latest panels as well, and if there's any indication as to the overall quality based upon what we saw at the show, their 2019 lineup is going to be fantastic. And if you have access to their panels, their OLEDs, in Canada, and you're already a fan. I mean, clearly, the VT60 is no slouch. What this OLED would give you is something literally four times brighter. Right. Equal or better black level and plasmas already have pretty good black level. Same, Similar off-axis viewing performance with your plasma, which is really nice. It's going to cost a pretty penny, of course, to do that upgrade. If you're able to find it and the price is the equivalent or close to what you can get for maybe an LG C8, then certainly Mm -hmm. do it. And as far as Vizio's P-Series Quantum, that's just a fantastic TV. The more I look at that, And there is something else specific about, especially if you're a gamer, and the quantum dot LCDs compared to the wide color gamut LED backlit screens that I see. There's an issue there that something else I learned at CES. So I'll come clean as well. But if you are a fan of plasma, and you clearly are, and you truly want that off-axis viewing performance, nothing's going to be... An OLED, no LCD, even as damn good as that P series Quantum is, Mm -hmm. and here in the United States, that was on sale all the way down to fourteen hundred US. That was a fantastic price, and now with LG also offering rock bottom pricing on their, Mm -hmm. I want to say, is it the B series OLEDs? Yeah, from twenty eighteen, now at like literally the cheapest pricing yet for even a sixty five inch panel, and I want to say it was. 2200 2300 US, that's a pretty damn good price, too. I would just simply go with OLED at this point. You're going to enjoy that picture quality, and you can pretty much
0: sit at 90 degrees, you know,
1: (laughs) perpendicular to the screen. Personally, I would probably lean more toward the LG just for its broad format support Mm -hmm. in terms of video formats, especially with HDR. Panasonic did announce at CES that they are adding Dolby Vision to their premium lineup that was the one thing that was kind of missing they're already on board with the hdr 10 plus for that dynamic metadata system but having panasonic now dip their toe into dolby and provide that dolby picture quality enhancement with the content that's compatible that's one more reason to certainly consider that one along with what lg's doing
0: for reference a uh One United States dollar equals 1.32 Canadian dollars, making a $1,400 screen, $1,858.71 Canadian, plus or minus any import taxes or fees. Yeah.
1: 65 inches like the sweet spot. 55-65, that's where all the best deals are. That's a super common screen size. and. Oh, we'll get into this next time as well, but the beauty of going through 2019, I see, really, is that the 70-plus-inch screen sizes are going to become the new 65s in terms of pricing and availability and options. We saw some options.
0: really pretty class at CES.
1: Oh, most definitely. And some that will be revealed later this year. <laughs> and the return of Vizio. Yeah, Vizio All of is these back. things we shall talk about soon
0: that ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to this episode of avxl AVXL avxl.com is the website if you want to support us please go over to patreon.com slash avxl if you have a question ask at avxl or tweet at robert heron at patrick norton or at avxl because quite frankly we enjoy your questions and they help us be smarter learn more help us more learn smarter heck yeah yeah that's uh that's the sign that it's time to wrap this episode of avxl I'm Patrick Norton. I am Robert Aaron. We'll catch next week.